Hey everyone, here we are with a new episode of Gameology Conversations and this time we have no one but the one and only Chris Avalon. I was so impressed with Dying Light 2 in 2018 E3 that I couldn't wait to speak with Chris about his inspiring life, work, Dying Light 2 and for the first time his collaboration with Ken Levine in Ghost Stories. Let's not wait and get into it, but before that Make sure to leave a like and subscribe to this channel because we're going to have a lot of fun in the future. Let's go. Thank you so much, Chris, for having this conversation with me. And I couldn't wait to tell you how impressive Dying Light 2 was at E3. It blew my mind and it was exactly what I've been waiting for to see in a video game for like a long time. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. Thank you. So speaking of E3, tell me about your favorites from this year. Uh, you know, I wish I had more to relay on that. It's just that I actually wasn't there for E3. I was only there for the uh, the pre-E3 show, and then um, and then I had to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything based on trailers? Uh, I didn't actually view a ton of those. Uh, I only saw maybe a few things that were at the uh, the Microsoft presentation itself. So I, I guess I kind of had blinders on. Um, I did like this one cute Zelda game called Tunic, which I thought was uh, it looked pretty cool and had a really nice art style. But uh, beyond that, you know, I'm probably the worst person to ask. So uh, I'm very curious to know about your childhood growing up and uh, the first step towards being game developer. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, so I first got introduced to Dungeons and Dragons, I think, when I was nine years old. And the whole idea of a game of make-believe with rules and dice somehow just seemed really cool and appealing to me. It was like doing an interactive adventure through like a like a fantasy series. So I was like, oh, wow, that sounds, that sounds like really cool. And like, you, you know, go explore dungeons, there's traps. And um, so I got really excited about that. Uh, and I was excited about that for quite some time. But the problem is there never was anybody in my neighborhood who would ever, ever play with me. And if they did want to play D&D, they never wanted to do the work to be a game master. So that sort of fell on me. So if we ever wanted to play D&D, I sort of had to run the, run the game sessions. Which was uh, initially bad, and then over time I started enjoying it more and more until I had this stack of adventures that I had made. I'm like, wow, you know, I've I spent a lot of time on these. Um, I should probably do something with them, just because otherwise they feel like a huge waste. So I started submitting to various like pen and paper uh, publications, like you know D and D, Champions, uh, Hero System, and eventually some of those got accepted. Um, but then I discovered that getting a job in the pen and paper industry is pretty terrible. So I asked the folks there, hey, do you know of any computer game companies that might be willing to hire me? Or do you know of any steady work somewhere? Because I'd, I'd love to keep writing adventures and character books with you guys, but it's not enough to pay the bills in the slightest. In fact, you could probably waste away into starvation trying to do it. And they're like, well, I, I hear... Um, this one company, Interplay Entertainment, on California is, is hiring for their Dungeons & Dragons division. We can put in a good word for you. I'm like, well, I would love that. And they did, and they Interplay flew me out for an interview, and then I joined the Black Isle, the Dragonplay division. Then I was probably about, uh, wow, 22, 23, I think. I don't know. It's, a, it's one of those things I probably have to dig back in the depths of my memory. It was so long ago. Um 
Yeah, and then uh, it started Dragonplay, and then it became Black Isle Studios, and then it went on. Uh, people left there and went to Obsidian, and then yeah, it's was about a it's been a very very long computer game career, very very long pen and paper game career. Yeah, so you knew what you were doing when you were 22, right? Or you just try, you know, tried it. Sort of. Um, I knew I knew that I wanted to write. Uh, I knew that I wanted to write for. Uh, paper games, but it didn't occur to me that I could also do that for computer games at the time. So I had, I had this uh, uh, hope slash delusion. Oh, well, you know, I'll write comic books for a living. That'd be fantastic. And, I, you know, I, I would have loved to have done that. But then the game opportunity popped up and it turns out all the writing that I'd done for RPGs, uh, tabletop RPGs, actually applied pretty well to computer game RPGs. So, yeah, that was uh, that ended up working out great. Yeah. So wearing different hats and working at different positions, how did you learn to do all these things? Uh, you make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, the, um, so there's a few things. Um, so with level design, I actually learned a little bit of that uh, because I had a, a, a minor in fine arts slash architecture. Uh, at Virginia Tech, and so I studied for a few years, like basic uh, principles of like how to lay out levels, uh, how to do like a flow of people through spaces, and it turned out that applied pretty well to computer games. So, and plus they they trained us in all sorts of uh, um, computers. It's the computer assisted design programs that also proved useful once I got in the computer game industry. And then the rest of it was just everything, all the mistakes that I'd made being a game master. I found still applied in the computer game space, like how to make every player feel valued, like how to uh, design an adventure for a balanced party, like how do you, you know, set up a cinematic, like all these things were stuff that I'd actually already done for uh, just sort of pen and paper RPGs. Wow. So obviously you're a big RPG fan and you gave us amazing RPGs. What draws you more to do RPG genre? Uh, you know, I think that's just because of where I started out. Um, I played a lot of computer RPGs when uh, I was a kid and actually less now, unfortunately, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Um, but I always liked the idea of sort of creating your own character, sort of slipping into a role and then sort of exploring a new environment and uh, sort of imagining what that character would be like. Or, you know, or if, you're, or if you're given a set character, like sort of taking that role and going, well, how, you know, how would Geralt is? Girl, like respond to this situation, or if information is lacking, like what what values do I have as a player that I think would cause me to respond this way or that way in a quest? And I think that's kind of a cool sort of psychological introspection with that, which is kind of neat. Yeah. So throughout the years, how do you see the evolution of RPG genre? Is that is the progress satisfying, or there are many other opportunities yet to be discovered? Um, well, my range of experience, I don't think RPG right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, um, I think there's a lot of, there's, there's been a lot of great RPGs that have come out, like some that, uh, you know, harken back to the isometric days, other ones that I think, uh, you know, carve some really interesting new ground. Like I, I really love the Witcher three. I thought it was amazing. Um, and, and the things that amazed me weren't, weren't always necessarily technical. It was more that they had a very, very mature way of approaching some of the content. And then also, really making you sort of narratively question what was going to happen next and a lot like a lot just a lot of the pacing and story reveals i thought were fantastic in themselves um 
in terms of uh, what's next, you know, I, I really couldn't say. I'm getting amazed every day. I just hope that eventually someone makes a, a better conversation system. But I think uh, the VR space may end up doing that just with things like, you know, gestures and the ability to sort of to track where the player's eyes are moving. I think that will actually add a lot more to conversations. But in terms of the RPG genre as a whole, I, I, I you know what, I'm ashamed to say I probably couldn't tell you. So, do you, speaking of VR, do you see a chance in VR to do, you know, some great RPGs there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just because idea right now. Uh, I worked on a I worked on a few of those, but they're not not RPGs. But I have worked with um, uh, VR games where the conversation system obviously achieves a new level because of the technology. And, I, I, and one problem with um, current RPGs, you know, outside of the VR space, and sometimes in the VR space, is that it's still a lot of menu-driven dialogues yeah. versus some other means of interaction. And I suspect there's probably some better way to implement that, but the industry has been kind of mired in that old technique for quite a while, so I'm not really sure how to evolve beyond that unless the technology changes. <clears throat> So uh, you have worked with uh, many teams and people. What is your advice to starting out fresh in a new team and new project? How do you connect to people creatively? Um, uh, that's a good question. So first off, um, my advice to anyone um, looking for a job or getting involved with a team is you should believe in the project that you're applying for. Uh, and that may sound obvious, but um, <clears throat> I've encountered developers that are uh, more interested in um, the monetary rewards and uh, or they just got a job for the sake of having a job versus they're passionate about what they're doing. And I think they may be doing themselves a disservice by doing that. They should go find something that makes them happy, I guess is the basic reason. A lot of the best um, game developers were ones that actually gave up more profitable careers and moved into game design or game development because that's just how they wanted to spend their life. And that I think that's the truest sign of a game developer. Um, the other advice I'd have is it's really good to just um, be sort of be a little bit reserved, step back a little bit for the first three months and absor absorb everything you can from your environment in terms of, you know, what's what are the pipeline flows like? Like, what what are people talking about? Like, what why do they make certain decisions? How do they make certain decisions? Uh, and sort of get a feel for the flow of the place before, uh, you know, you, before asking for like any changes or disruptions. Like, just, just try and get a sense of where you are within that structure and how you can best help. Because I think, um, you, obviously, if you get hired to the new team, they're hiring you for a reason. So figure out how you fit in that flow and how you can best support it. And then as the months go on, when you get comfortable in that role, then start sort of branching out and... Uh, asking more questions, getting a sense for, well, why, why is this pipeline this way or that way? Because if you did that too early, sometimes teams get, you know, switched off or defensive or they, all sorts of weirdness stuff can happen versus if you just sort of sit back, uh, take into account what your, what your role in the pipeline is and then just do that. And then once you do that for a few months, then start branching out beyond that. Yeah, excellent advice. So... Right now, you're the narrative designer of Dying Light 2. What exactly are the duties of a narrative designer? 
Well, so I am not the narrative designer. I'm actually working with uh, with other writers on Dying Light 2. Uh, the, the, the job of a narrative designer is kind of strange. Uh, the reason um, that title comes up is because sometimes when you classify a developer just as a writer, I think that sort of hamstrings what their job responsibilities actually entail because it's, it's far more than writing. And in fact, sometimes it doesn't even involve writing at all because a telenarrative often in a computer game, words aren't the best way to do that. Like it's sound, it's prop placement, it's environmental design. And all of that still requires, requires a narrative touch to pull off correctly. Like when we were doing... Um, the Fallout New Vegas DLC, Old World Blues, we actually didn't have many lines to spare for voice acting. So we had to actually do design documents that tried to communicate certain stories or people's journey in that game space. But they couldn't. They never did it with any words. It was all how the props were arranged, how a campsite was set up, and all these other things that I think ended up being to that DLC's benefit. Yes. Um, and, and, and the point is, like, when you're just a writer, sometimes people can just assume that, oh, well, you know, you're just the word guy. Uh, you'll tell a story that's possibly divorced from the gameplay, and then we'll chop chop it up throughout the game into cutscenes, and that'll keep the player motivated. Versus a narrative designer who I'd like to think tries to figure out more ways to integrate that story into gameplay, like with voice reactions, voice barks, um, sound effects suggestions, and environmental design that I think ends up making the experience a little bit broader. Yeah, so how do you make sure your story is perfectly in sync with game and it's not harming the gameplay? Um, so not only do you play it, and hopefully that you have a good sense where the story is dragging things down, like if you're playing a first-person shooter and suddenly everything comes to a grinding halt for a cinematic, yeah. and that cinematic seems kind of pointless, uh, you're probably not serving the gameplay. Uh, you're, you're probably just putting on a pause for a little while. The other thing to do is, and this is much better, is you get 20 other people to play the game. And then you watch them play the game, and then you talk to them about it. And you go, well, like, what, what were the slowest moments for you? And then you make sure you ask enough questions that drill down to uh, potential problems with the story, and then get their feedback on it. Like, maybe they didn't like a certain character's tone, maybe a certain character spoke too slowly, maybe um, the interactions with them seemed kind of pointless in the sense that you never seemed to get any concrete information and they just ended up being annoying all these things you just log away and then hope you have enough time to iterate on it so you can fix all those issues but ultimately the goal is the player still wants to keep playing the gameplay loop and the story shouldn't interfere with it it should complement it like you know with voice barks or you know audio recordings things that still allow the player to move and act and do things but still gives them story as they're doing it yeah so Let's talk about Dying Like 2 and how you got involved in the project. Uh, they actually started talk to me. They started talking to me um, uh, before I departed Obsidian, um, which is the last uh, festival time that I had. Uh, I had to say no to them at the time, but then once I departed Obsidian, it occurred to me that wow, you know. I'd really want to work on Dying Light 2, and now I can. Um, so I, dro I dropped them a line and said, hey, is that, is that opportunity still open? And they're like, absolutely. So we met at um, uh, E3. I, uh, I met the narrative producer and the CEO. Uh, we had a really good conversation about where we thought uh, narrative should go. And he's like, all right, well, let's make this happen. So and then exactly? uh, 2015. Is it 15? Yeah. 
so uh, they, they approached you for dialect one or two no no two. Oh yeah because by that because uh, by that yeah, time yeah, yeah. yeah by that time by that time dying light one was yeah, already yeah, out yeah, yeah. Uh, you and Ken Levine are the masters of storytelling in video game industry, and you guys joining each other to work on a project is like the ultimate team, and I know how much you guys are busy working on it. Talk about working with uh, Ghost Story and Ken Levine. How did this happen? Well, first off, you're very kind to say that. That is, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not absolutely sure I deserve that. But yeah, um, so uh, again, uh, after I departed Obsidian, the... Uh, Ghost Story reached out and said, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. What are you doing? They're like, well, we have this thing we like talk to you about. I'm like, well, I would love to hear about it. And then uh, um, uh, we had more discussions. Uh, they were very quick. It was mostly me going, yep, yes, that sounds great. Yes. And then and then I started working on it. So um, uh, the specifics of the project I can't talk about, but uh, working with Ken is uh, one of my... I don't want to fanboy too much, but it was one of my <laughs> deep, deep hopes when getting into the industry that he, he was definitely one of the one of the folks that I wanted to work with. And um, what's been really interesting is seeing Ken's creative process because the way he tackles uh, narrative and theme, he does it in a really interesting organic way that I I. I'm kind of impressed with because I think it's partly he follows instinct and then partly follows a really solid understanding of where a story should go and what makes characters, for want of a better word, sing. I like whenever I read something that Ken writes, it's it's going to sound strange, but it's far more entertaining than I think something I would write. So I get a little jealous. Um, but overall, uh, working working with him is great. He's um, he's very open uh, to feedback. Uh, we discuss a lot of design stuff, uh, kick story stuff around, and uh, uh, if we ever disagree on anything, he has really good reasons as to why that's the case, and, and it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's been it's been a great experience. Wow, it's so exciting to see you guys work with each other. Me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. I can't wait for that game, man. That's going to be pretty incredible. <laughs> You're working on two amazing games. Dying Light 2 and working with Ken, it's just, I can't wait to play your games, man. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd go back in time and tell myself how good life is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. So, thank you so much, Chris. It was an honor talking to you, sir. Thank you for all the years of amazing experiences. I grew up playing your games, and I can't wait to follow this path to even more outstanding stuff. Well, hey, thank you very much for reaching out. I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>